0: achieve our full potential. Your journey to transformation begins right now. Let's do this. All right, people, let's do this. (sighs) I'm just going to take a breath because I am just, I'm so excited about today. I'm excited about being able to have this platform to have real conversations that I believe are going to help us to change the world. My name is Tracy Harrell, and I am host of Bigger Than Me. And what we're doing right now, given where we are in this amazing time in history, is we're creating an initiative and it's called the Bigger Than Me Success Series. I've always used this show to really help real people turn their dreams into reality, to turn hope into how, and to really build on the power of purpose, destiny, and legacy. You know, I like to say our mission is we use technology, community, and positive psychology to help real people do great things. And that's exactly what we're doing. So right now, what we are doing is we're going to continue to explore the topics that we've been talking about around how do you bring equity and inclusion into business. This Bigger Than Me success series is going to include not only looking at equity in business, but also how do you bring in equity and, and bring in community into our schools, into education, right? There's imbalances as it relates to wealth, health, all of those things we're going to talk about, but today we're really going to focus on how do we bring forth equity and inclusion in business, and that really ties to education because that's the pipeline into business. So We're also going to focus on that aspect as well, and I have three amazing guests with me. So I have Vance Ashworth, Dr. Jerry Bird-Tart, and Anissa Mason. So I'm going to have each of you introduce yourself and really help us by defining, because these are success series, right? So we have to start by saying, what does success look like? if you if you could define the world, if you could change the world and you could lay out what success looks like in business, Equity, inclusion, If you had equity and inclusion in business, what would success look like to you? And I'm going to start with you, Dr. Tart. What is success in business from an equity and inclusion perspective for everyone in the world, if you could make that happen, what would that look like?
1: It would look like a, a level playing field for sure. It would give me the opportunity to have the same uh, assessments that's given across the board with the same level of understanding and consideration. It would look. Uh, it would look like the uh, having the opportunity to to share my concerns and and uh, having having an input and know that I've been being and know that I've been heard uh, to include my. Uh, my information, include my concerns, include uh, the significance of whatever the challenges are that I bring to the table and to be considered with the uh, same level of of, of significance that anybody else would bring.
0: Mm, I love you. (laughs) I think that might be the fastest I love you I've ever done on this show. They typically bubble up after I get super excited. That's perfect. I, I do, I think you're amazing. And Dr. Char, who are you? What, why do I love you so much? And what's, tell us about your background. I don't think we, we you've been on the show numerous times, but for those who may not have met you, why are you um, an authoritarian? An authoritarian? I've, I've known Casey for
1: a, a few years. I am a, um, I'm in Central Florida, in Orlando, and I've been in the field of, of psychology or therapy uh, for the last 40 plus, plus years. I am a psychotherapist in the Orlando area. I've been in private practice. I've worked in other, um, in corporate America um, as the director of the employee assistance program at one of the aerospace places here. And I've uh, worked for some of the colleges in terms of working in their uh, counseling department as well. But I've been in private practice for the last 23 years.
0: I love it, I love it. I love your definition of equity and inclusion. I'm going to go to uh, Mr. you you've also been on the show. Uh, we had you on last week, and you're amazing. I had I had enough people on last week. I didn't get to peel back the onion for each of us. You had shared so many great stories, so I brought you back on as well, and I will have the other guests on 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 too. But can you introduce yourself, and then tell us what is your definition of since you have a child, you you both have children, Jerry, Dr. Jerry, I know you do too. But can you tell us what does success look like? For you, Anissa, as it relates to relates to having equity and inclusion in the workplace, but then also bringing equity and community into education.
2: Yeah. Um, so my name is Anissa, and I'm a registered nurse, a community nurse here in Seattle. And um, success. Workplace as well as education is uh, a level of comfortability for all children as well as, you know, all co-workers. You know, it shouldn't be one group feels really comfortable in this space while the other is just striving to survive. It should be um, across the board. And so that is one place that we need to get for everyone to feel successful, not just for one group.
0: I love that. I love it. I love it. Vance, you're new to this show, but I, I, I connected with you as a part of an Africa Town meeting, and when you shared your story and I was talking about the work that we're doing, it was like such a perfect connection. So, can you tell us who you are, what profession are you in, and then what does success look like for you? If we had equity and inclusion in the workplace, what would that look like to you?
3: So, <clears throat> I'm Vance Ashworth. I run a company called The Maximizer. I do multimedia design services for private labels and individuals. Success to me is freedom. You know, success to me is financial freedom. It's the freedom to 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 choose. It's a it's, it's sleep at night, not having to worry about, you know, rent, not having to worry about food. It's also being able to give back, you know, I've been in here uh, in Seattle for the past six years by way of Kansas City, Missouri. There's so many things that I wanna give back not only to this community, but also take back to my hometown that they have been, Kansas City has been sowing into me. So it's very important to me to be in a place to give back from my knowledge, okay. to give back from the things that I've received to these communities. And it hurts to be in a, to be in a position that, that I've gained so much, Um, yet I don't always feel like I have a lot to give. Mm,
0: Well, you know what? You're giving right now. I mean, part of what is amazing about the work that we're doing, part of what's so valuable about this Bigger Than Me success series that I'm endeavoring to undertake is that we're bringing real talk and real action into a space where there hasn't been as much as there should be. And I feel like right now there's an appetite for conversations around racial justice. And we recognize that racial injustices don't just exist you know, in pro- police brutality. We know that there's racial injustices in, every, in multiple aspects of our lives. And so you are contributing right now. I think a lot of times people aren't able to or willing to tell their stories. And so it's gonna help um, so many people on this journey, right? I mean, part of what I do is adaptive leadership and it's really about learning to grow in public, learning to, um, Know, be comfortable being uncomfortable, right? That's part of the journey and, and we're uncomfortable talking about it and they're uncomfortable hearing it, but that's the only way really for us to get to a greater level of awareness and empathy. So thank you to all of you for coming onto the show today and being willing to tell your story. So we're just going to keep going to get right into it. Are you good? I did. Awesome. So last week we talked about, and I was kind of laying the ground, I know I talked a lot last week. I was trying to like lay the groundwork for this work and why it's so important. This Bigger Than Me success series is around highlighting opportunities for executives and leaders. If I focus on just this particular topic, just how do we bring equity and inclusion into the workplace, let's focus on that. We actually have the answers. The solutions are actually clear. There's tons of examples of things working. We just haven't necessarily had people being willing to do the work. It's like the problem, maybe it doesn't exist, or they just weren't clear what it was. So Vance, you you volunteered to tell a story about uh, work that you've done in corporate America and the experience that you had that I think you actually described as traumatic.
3: Oh yes, very traumatic. So I think that the way that we can fix it, number one, is I feel like the second that I select black, African-American on an application, it automatically goes to the back, I just do. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. As I said, it's a lot more simple there. The uh, the process to get work. If you have four hands, if you have two hands, two legs, you can find something to do. They will hire you. Here, there's this line of recruiters that are gatekeepers, and those kind of people that don't always have the same experience that I do as a designer are are gateholders. I feel like if it would it would level the playing field if the if if we were able to go straight to the uh, to the hiring straight to HR and and show what we have. Instead, there's this barrier in front, and that I feel like has stopped that has stopped me from uh, from being a part of you know from being mm-hmm. able to work. Just having uh, just not being selected for these teams from the uh, from the jump.
0: Perfect. So, so let me ask you a question. I think one of the stories I wanted you to highlight, and Dr. Tart, I'm going to ask you to kind of lean in lean in as well, but you shared a story where you were in a, a tech, tech company and um, you said it ended in a level of trauma because of your experience. Um, do you want to tell tell a little bit about that? And then we're going to have Dr. Chart lean in to talk about the reality of what, when someone experiences these things that we call unconscious bias or unequal performance standards, there's really, there's an impact that's much greater than I think we ever acknowledge or are willing to to, to recognize and address. And that's a big part of what we wanted to talk about today. So tell us about, um, actually, you know what, what I love about you is, just tell people a little bit of your background. You said the first time you experienced racism, you were nine years old?
3: Yep, I was nine so, years old. We were the, um, my mom was taking me and my sister to show us our new house. I didn't realize that we were gonna be the first black family on the block and one of the first um, black families in the neighborhood. However, when we pulled up to the house, it was news for that. Then we decided to go forward and move in. Uh, then I started going outside and playing outside with uh, with the kids. We ha- We would have a good time, twice, two days in a row. Then the next day, two different kids came on the bus and said that they could no longer play with me because I'm black. That was the first time in my life that I looked at my skin, I looked at myself, I've and, and I felt, and I had this rec- this reckoning, like, okay, I'm different and I'm black. I'm different and I'm black. And I didn't, re- I realized that I was different, but I didn't understand. Nobody or nothing could prepare me for a lifetime of exclusion and discrimination based on the color of my skin. I wow! Still so, don't get it.
0: wow, wow. I'm still. So said, I, 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 what I love about you is that you said you said you said you still don't get it. And what I wanted to do is I'm going to transition before we go into the workplace. I, I decided to kind of. Take the story that you shared about you being young, because Anissa, you have a child mm-hmm. who is young, and you said he had some experiences, or that that people might be surprised um, how how young we experience various yeah. levels of equity. Can you inequity? Can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah. So my son is six now, but he was enrolled in a private school for preschool and pre-K. Um, And so that's three, four years old and everything was fine. Preschool year come pre-K, there was a bully in the school and there was bullying going on. And when you're four, you don't understand bullying. You don't understand what's going on. So he acted out. He and a lot of the kids were acting out. The entire classroom was acting out, but he was being Um, centered out as a problem. And the way he was acting out was throwing tantrums. He stopped eating at Mm -hmm. school. He stopped taking naps. So he's a baby. He's hungry. He's tired. And he was throwing tantrums. And I started getting calls from the school saying he was endangering, his tantrums endangered the other students. But when I'd go to the classroom, he'd be happy as could be. Um, and they kept pulling him out of class so he wasn't getting the education mind you this is a private school so he wasn't getting the education I was paying for um and the school their whole thing was we want to do social justice but yet he was the only one in the lower grades in the preschool pre-k who looked like him and it really felt like he was the token so that they could teach all these other kids how to live in a world with a child that looked like him but they weren't teaching him how to live in a world um Or actually, they kind of were teaching the other kids how to live in a world that they were maybe better than him, superior than him, because he was starting to see that he was a problem, even though he wasn't doing anything. He was the one being bullied. He was reacting a natural way to being bullied. So I ended up pulling him out of that school and towards the because they weren't giving me solutions of how they were going to fix the bullying problems or the things that were affecting his behaviors. They were only talking about how they could change him like, oh, well, maybe we can make a calm down corner. But. Why was he need a calm down corner? He wouldn't need that if you didn't have a bully, you know? And so it wasn't that they weren't trying to work. They just didn't get it or didn't see where they were um, uh, pulling him out or only identifying him. And it made him see himself as different. He kept asking me, mommy, am I bad? And I was like, no, you're not bad. You know, someone did something to you. And so that's when I knew he had to go and I took him out of there and he's been doing much better, but that he is now in therapy because of this, because I don't want this to affect him and to make him angry or to make him he even still now has anxieties in classrooms around big groups of kids because he doesn't know who to trust
0: um, dr tart as a therapist first yes. of all there's two things that thrills me about this and i always got to find something positive horrible story but i'm thrilled that your child is in in, in therapy at six Absolutely. because basically black people typically don't think we need it or pray you're gonna pray away the anxiety or something i don't know but that thrills me that you're basically saying you, you, you've seen that he has experiences where he's needed therapy. Dr. Chow, why is that so important when, when people have these experiences, right, that mm-hmm. are normalized for them, traumatizing for us? We act out and then we're the problem. Why is it so important that we um, explore therapy? And can you help us explain this one?
1: Uh, yes, yes, it is because we it's that we recognize that the emotions that we are experiencing are definitely telling us something about what's going on with our, our our bodies. Our our I say this often because it's so very true that our thought processes are directly correlated with our. Feelings with with those feelings that we are having, and to the to the point that uh, Anissa, you you were talking about your baby. He's acting out because his thought process is saying, "I don't understand what's going on." And when we are in a state of confusion, and we are attempting Tracy to uh, to normalize it, and particularly if what is considered by someone else to be their norm and is incongruent with your constant ex- existence of self, then yeah, you're going to have. There's going to be this battle that goes on. And when you aren't aware of what is it that I'm doing wrong or what's wrong with me, so at such a very early age, we are oftentimes conditioned to believe that the trauma, if we're going to put it in perspective, that we experience um, early in our lives is our norm. Then from that place on, we are trying to grow to survive. So uh-huh. the traumatic experience is really important in understanding how it is that we can help our, ch- our children as well as ourselves to survive. That's one of the reasons that I said that, if, as I uh, said early on, that if the playing field is leveled, then what does that look like? Can you see me as a human being? Because I see you as a human being. Can we do that without, without the biases, without those, conditioned those ingrained behaviors. And here's here's the thing, um, Anisa. as you were just saying, your baby was being conditioned to believe that he was less than, not because of necessarily his, beha- well, not because of his behavior, but because of his hue. And it didn't matter, or because of his classification, because he could have been fairer than anybody else in his classroom, but because of his classification. And that goes to what you were saying that, uh, that in on the front end, if it is that we are given this, this, this barrier to say that this is as equal as it's going to be. Tracy, you said, how, how can we do that? Can we all push pause or, or rewind? Are we willing to go and say, let me rethink this piece that I've carried around me as the norm and is, it, is, it, is this about equality or is it just for a particular person, a particular group or a particular whomever? Or is it across the board? And I don't know if that uh, helped with perfect. the understanding
0: 100%. of, the problem, but it's important to understand how early that starts. No, that that's perfect. I've heard, I've heard, I've done interview after interview after interview. By the way, um, Nathan, I'm getting text messages that we were, weren't live. I don't know if we are now, but people were saying we weren't live. I got several. Um, just FYI, uh, working on it. Okay, no problem. <laughs> Thank you, I wasn't sure if you knew. All good. Um, so what, what's really exciting about what I, what I just heard is, it's a very consistent problem, right? Yes. Both of you actually addressed your challenges through therapy. You right. You you got therapy for your child. Vance, I understand that when you had a, a situation, um, your most recent situation in corporate America, you also got therapy and I'm just curious, what did the uh, therapist, I mean, Dr. just gave a eloquent and perfect assessment of the why. Um, can you tell me, what did your therapist tell you about how, maybe I don't know if she explained the why, but like, what advice did she tell you or how did she tell you to reconcile this in your brain to get over the trauma, to get back to thriving as a, as a full individual?
3: My therapist, she basically put it in a way that made me feel as if I couldn't make it out here in Seattle. So, I moved to Atlanta because I heard that Black people can get work out there. That didn't work out. Is my
0: mouth still open?
3: Yep. (laughs) I went back to Kansas City, tried tried it there. Didn't work. So then I came back to Seattle to finish what I started because mm. it is not fair. And that was in my therapist. I don't see her to this day um, because
0: we, she's fired. I'm going to do a daughter. She's that's fired.
3: That is horrible. That Doctor
0: That's horrible. Okay. We, we're going to have you jump in in one second. What you got to say, Dr. Tarr? Help him out. I, I just have to say, I'm so sorry, Vance.
1: I, I, yeah, I say that across the board for, for, for my profession. but uh, For all therapists everywhere? With, with, yeah, with that being, with that being of, of the experience that you had, it is, um, how can I say, there, there are individuals, and again, this goes back to our own paradigm. It goes back to our understanding. And, you know, we can only go as far as we think we can go. So if we've put a lid on that, as it were, then even as a therapist where we're going to work is we're going to work from that place and not give permission to the individuals to go beyond that, okay? So I, I, I truly am sad by that. But, but it, that too is a reality. That too, wow. is, going back to what does a late level playing field look like? Yeah. How, how much are you willing to, to embrace the, the, the biases you know, mm.
3: that you can conti- continuously espouse. Mm. I was also seeing a life coach. Um, and he wrote a book that has something like every single day you write down what you're grateful for. So that has been the, that has been my, my journey in kind of self-help and in coping with, with and in coping with this, with this thing that, with this thing, it has been, okay. um, Pastors, prayer lines, uh, self-help books, um, self, what do you call life coaches and therapists. And it all kind of leaves me in a place um, alone, but in a place where I've done so much for nothing because it's been a process of, of do your resume like this or wake up at this time, do this, do that, okay, do this again, try again, line up, wake up, get a therapist, get a Aww. life. Coach, do this, Go that, do, and then, like, literally, uh, when you've done, like, okay, move to Atlanta, Black people can work there, okay, well, that didn't work out, because this is something that works across the board, like I said, every single step of the way, I'm learning, and it's hurting more, and more, and more, and it's hurting me more, and more, and more, to see that this is something that is that is nationwide then not only is it nationwide it's something that in every single industry everybody is dealing with so it makes me feel buried i literally bury myself away sometimes because i feel so helpless i feel that there's absolutely nothing that can be done except speaking except speaking out because i still haven't gotten a job offer or (laughs) you know said or as an entrepreneur it just puts me in another bracket of, okay, so now where am I going to get funding? Because everybody is telling me no for that now. I don't have rich family. So, you know, like literally it just puts me in a position of another work harder than everybody else. Work harder, work smarter, exhaustive to get like literally just to so
0: so, so. first of all, Vance, we're going to stay connected with you. Part of the work that we're doing with the National Black NBA Association Seattle Chapter, and I have that here posted um, as a part of this this session today. Part of what we're doing and what we're going to be offering um, beautiful Dr. Jerry Bird-Tart and Debrina Jackson this upcoming Thursday, we're actually hoping we're hosting an event that's going to be about trauma. And it's not going to be a one-time event, but it's going to be about trauma. Like when we experience trauma and then how to thrive, how to use your mind to thrive, so know that you—you this isn't unique to you. I've been interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, which is why I'm so confident that this is the right work to do. This is a—I call this this is the—it's all bigger than me ministry. It's like the ministry of the mind. My goal is to help as many people as I can that look like you and that don't look like me, right? Because at the end of the day, to change the system, we have to convince convey and connect with those that are in power so i also have a process that's moving forward where we're sending a a, a executive summary and a detailed document to every ceo and business leader in america post it out hey fyi we have solutions there are problems we have solutions we're going to invite them to go on a journey with us because at at the end of the day people do need to understand and recognize that it's a problem so i want you to know that i feel your pain and sometimes the book i was writing was called how to become visible Mm -hmm. people, the more interviews that I heard it was like what you just said, I feel hopeless, I feel invisible I heard those words and that's probably the one that sat with me the most was how to become visible, so I'm going to ask Dr. Tart to do some impromptu therapy, I have to do the disclaimer that we're not performing therapy on the air, but Dr. Tart, can you give a brother a hand, give a brother some insight on how to like get out of a place of feeling so vulnerable and helpless
1: Vance, the the first thought that I had when you said that you felt so um, you felt so very hopeless and you're still trying that struggle. Uh, Tracy said it early on when we first started and I, I don't say it necessarily as a colloquialism or whatever, but I say it because it's a truism. Think about what you're thinking about. Dear Heart, seriously, as you go through this journey, what is it that you want? And that's that, I, I mean that, I'm, that's just not a cliche. What is it that you want? What do you want? Not what you don't want, what do you want? What do you want? Pour into that. You were talking about touching it every day, writing it. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. The scriptures agrees with that. It's we, we, what a man, th- as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Yes, if you he think did. you're defeated, you are. And I know, I know that that sounds so like such as cliche, but, but I seriously mean give your energy. It's energy. It's energy, it's energy Vance. Pour your energy into what God has already given you to claim. It's yours. It's yours. That's when we talk about this inclusion, we talk about this equity, how many of us have already, not unlike what you're saying, uh, Anissa, about your, your baby, we are conditioned to believe that we are at a, a deficit from jump. What if you were to think differently? What if you were to say, I know this journey is long, but I just haven't gotten to that intersection where I need to turn to the right, and there it is. It's right there. And I mean that sincerely. And I know that a lot of people say, oh, that's just this touchy-feely mumbo-jumbo, but it isn't. It's our mind, and we're talking about our mind. Give your energy to that thing that you want, not those negative experiences. And that's not to to say that they weren't significant, but they are stepping stones, sweetheart. Okay, that's exactly what they are, to get you to where it is that you want to be. I was reading something the other day. No, I was listening to a movie and the one guy asked this man about yesterday. He says, oh, that's another country, okay? Because my tomorrow's is going the other way. So if we cannot give credence or or allow those burdens of our yesterdays and those those, those traumatic experiences, not to call them something else necessarily until we get far enough away from the, the heat of that uh that that traumatic experience um because it's still a trauma but when we can get further enough that we can look back and we can reframe that that's what we want to do that's when it's in another country because we can we're moving forward and and just to be clear one more time give credence to what it is that you want that's seriously that's serious stuff right there what is it that you want your 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 life goals or or education or whatever else it is that that, that you are doing and or have done, that's for this, that's a stepping stone to where you want to be. You have to believe it. I can't give that to you. I can just encourage you to hold fast to it. And above all else, I know that depression is real. I know that anxiety is real. I really, really know that, okay? Those those uh, those hormonal dynamics or or, or or the upheaval of those, that's very real, don't minimize it. Don't pretend as if it's just because you got up on the wrong side of the bed. Go and take care. And as a health professional, I'm certain Miss Mason can speak to that too, okay?
0: That's where I'm coming from, okay? Anissa, Anissa that's perfect. Thank you, Dr. Todd. What were you gonna say, Vance, when well, you got something to say? You got your hand on your heart. You sound like you're feeling well, some is, love. You know,
3: I'm just feeling touched and she's hitting right home. Uh, she's hitting home. And this is just a reminder because sometimes you do get bogged down in, in emotion and anxiety. And- <laughs> And it is important to refocus on on what I want. And sometimes it's not what I want that that kind of gets me back up. It is kind of a mantra to keep going. You know yeah. what I'm saying? because there is there is hope. And so um, I, I'm, I'm touched and I, I can't thank you um, enough for speaking to that. So I'm touching.
0: We are going to continue this conversation. There are so many people, honestly, Dr. Tarr, I'm gonna to come to you, Anissa, in a second, but I just wanna clarify, there are so many people who have had this experience. It's been normalized, not just for them, and meaning the business leaders in, in, in corporate America, in businesses, I say this, this goes from Microsoft to McDonald's, right, every business in between. These concepts of unconscious bias and unequal performance standards and similarity bias, these are things that exist, we all know that they exist, so it applies, the solutions also apply to everyone as well. So know that you're, it's, it's not unique to you. I think that's kind of thing one. And then know that we're going to continue this journey together. You're not alone. And I think now is the time where we can really have these conversations. And you don't look like somebody who's crazy because part of the normalized experience is you get laid off. You get asked to leave. You get, you, you get traumatized and you feel like I got to get up out of here for my own sanity. And then even your own people don't rally around you. That whole concept of community, mm-hmm. that doesn't exist either. You got some people. We are your people. like, And we're, we're their people, too, because at the end of the day, we all got to get over this together. We're going to move this forward together. So just know you are loved, and we are going to do this together. We're going to move this forward together. Whew. Yeah. Help us, Jesus. <laughs> Help us, Lord. Well, <laughs> Part of this journey, people, is really real talk and real action. So we do have answers. But the first thing we have to do is really continue to illuminate the experiences that we're having so that you, you we as a collective people, understand that it's real. It's real. So, Anissa, one, just to go back to your child who experienced some um, experiences that, that made him think he was less than, can you share any insight? What is your, um, what is his therapist? said to him or to you and is,
2: has it helped? It is helping. It is helping him a lot. He loves therapy. He loves his therapist. He gets excited. When I say today is your therapy day, he is really connected. Um, I think what's really important is, um, taking the time, when you are finding a therapist, because everyone is not for everybody there, you know, even in therapy, they're human, just like you. So they, they don't become a robot who can fit everybody's needs. And so, um, in taking the time and making sure I wanted to have, it didn't have to be someone who was black, but it had to be a person of color. So his therapist is an Asian woman. And, She, you know, so of course there are things that she has experienced in life where she can kind of get it. She may not get it on a black male level, but she gets it and she comes to his level and she uh, talks to him so well. And, you know, she brings up things that I don't even think to talk to him about, you know, And, and um just just around anxiety and how he's doing in the classroom and um talking about like how his week went and uh and it's just the way she does it like even this week the conversation she had with him uh she he, he met with her this week the conversation she had with him was around what's going on and what he's seeing on the news mm-hmm. you know i i had said you know we're not going to hide this from you this this is a reality and you need to know what's going on but she came at a different level like he, um and brought some insight to me. He's been really obsessed with spies. He told his grandmother, my mother, that he wanted to be a spy. He was gonna be a spy. He's building his room into his bunker. I thought that normal six-year-old behavior. He told her it's because he's black and the police are going to kill him. And yes, I didn't even know that these were things that he was internalizing. He didn't tell me, even though I talked to him about what was going on on the news, he didn't tell me. And so he wanted to protect the whole family and built this bunker because he sees himself as the protector and that's his way to protect in a six-year-old mind. Yes. But this is why therapy is important because he wouldn't have told me that. Yes. I, I wouldn't even know to go know to go dig for it.
1: Mm-hmm. And Anissi, if I can say this about uh, our children, oftentimes they will present um, their fears with irritability. Uh, I don't know if he says that he has a tummy ache or a stomach ache, I mean a Mm -hmm. headache or whatever. whatever. Sometimes it manifests itself like that. Or maybe his favorite food, he no longer wants to eat anymore. I don't deal with children for the very thing, for the very reason that you said what you just said. Every therapist isn't for everybody. I'm too old to deal with little children. I am. I mean, I, I love them and I, I have, there's this one lady that I love dearly and I refer all of my clients because she is absolutely magnificent. I've been doing this for a minute. So my point there is, is, is to uh, uh, to solidify or just say amen to the fact that it is important to look for a therapist and, and to look for their, their ability to be, be bold about what you're asking. Our, our minds are just as significant as our heart. Or, or our lungs, or, or any other part of our body. Our, our mental health is just as critical as our physical health. So do do your due diligence, and 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 you know you don't have to be rude, but you you can be you, you can you can dig, you can ask the questions mm-hmm. and, and see what it is that you're looking for, and be 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 deliberate in what you're saying to let them know that you're committed. This mm-hmm. isn't you know it's this uh, and and Tracy you said a moment ago as a people we are inclined to um, go, I, love, I, I am a, a Christian counselor. So uh, that's my base to keep me sane. Okay, y'all, but with and, no, it's not a but, but and with that, it is about understanding what it is that God has given us the ability to expect to understand, okay? And I, I go there to say, I say that to say for those who would say uh, well, because I'm a Christian, I don't have to go to a therapist. I beg to differ because I submit that it is, I didn't do this by myself. I didn't have this desire since I was 16 years old to want to be a therapist. That that didn't come before me, all right? That was already there. So as a result of that, I did what I needed to do. You know, it's like that guy with the five talents. I went to do to what I needed to do. <laughs> it may have taken me a minute to get this doctorate, but it was something that I wanted to do. and I thank god and trust him for the ability to do that but i'm i th- where i'm going with that is when you go there you know what you can do and what you can't do my therapist told me that get your stuff out of the way jerry before you can deal with somebody else's stuff so mm-hmm. people who are willing to be transparent about what they are doing is is that's a feather in their cap in my opinion so oh, i, I, love I hats off to you um to you both in terms of just seeing the significance of therapy
0: exactly that that's why i really wanted you guys to come on today this is the perfect mix like my show i don't work at it hard at all i don't i don't work at it at all i just let god bring the right people on to have the right conversations um, vance i just met you yesterday i've seen you on calls with africa town um, the fact that i said something about the work i was doing and you gave me the loudest amen corner i ever had like mm mm-hmm, that was my experience too i was like okay we need to have this conversation because when people are willing willing to speak up it's like, I just kind of go with the flow and let, and let, you know, even this show today, I had a whole y'all a whole different list of questions, but I'm really glad that the conversation is where it is because we're going to help people. We're going to change lives with this work. And so thank you for this. I'm going to, I'm going to um, ask you to give me the shortest version. I can't believe we only have, we have 18 minutes left, probably 15. So can't believe that. So I'm going to ask you to give me the shortest version, Anissa. Remember the story you were talking about, um, what I'm trying to do is illuminate what we know are. Uh, key challenges in corporate America that that affect our ability to feel included and affect the equity that we experience. I call them corporate chokeholds, right? We have some research that was done on the National Black MBA Association's website. You can go to nbmbaa.org and just look up either think tank, state of the black professional, all those key challenges. Those things are there. So we know that we're experiencing them can you give me that example of unequal performance standards it's another one of those those um advanced i know you have one too so we're gonna have to get the shortest version then i'm gonna slip dr tart back in as well so the shortest version of when you experience um unequal performance standards i said to mm-hmm. someone at work before i before i left my last job um that we we're born you know that part of the talk is you have to do twice as much work to get half the credit has anyone in here mm-hmm. has anyone heard that before mm-hmm. oh, right that's kind of part of the talk and so when i shared that with an executive they were like really i'm like yes (laughs) are you kidding me so it's like now we actually have to have a loving conversation and kind of continue to illuminate that like that's just our mindset we know that's like you know maybe that's to our to a fault so nisa give us a quick example that you shared at work about your experience with unequal performance standards and how it even affected your mentality
2: yeah um, long story short for years within, uh, my current position, I was doing pretty much double the workload, um, by, you know, more because I didn't, I was working with inefficient people around me in some, um, manners. Like I would send people to see my patients and they'd say, please don't send that person back. And it was just easier to just do the work. And I just kept doing the work. And because we are conditioned, you know, it was no problem to just pick up this patient, pick up that patient, do uh, double the work, uh, And then I had, right now, my current supervisor is a Black woman as well. And it's almost like she gave me the permission to slow down and to breathe. So I would start doing a little bit less and a little bit less. And I kept looking around like, well, when is someone going to say, hey, you're not doing your work, you know? But then I started to realize, oh, I'm doing the level of work that everyone else is doing. I'm just doing an equal level of work. And now it's okay because the person I, I have to check in with looks like me and understands me. And um, so that was the, pretty much the example I had given to make a long story short. And, of, and, I,
0: and I love it. I love it because yeah. it was metrics based. You were yeah. basically said very simply, you said, I'm making up a number, but it was like, you did 16 patients a day and they did eight mm-hmm. and you did six. You were, was that the number? And then you got back down to eight or whatever it was. And it was like, this is normal. This is what everyone else is doing. So it's not like the numbers, even when the numbers are clear, even when it's like, Absolutely clear that there's some inequity either in the performance or in the um, assessment of the performance. It still oftentimes ends in a way that is not positive for those people who aren't in power, those who are often marginalized, those people that look like us. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Dr. Tart, I need a moment of prayer. No, I'm just <laughs> joking. I'm, joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. That's a great story. Vance, you also had a story similar. Give me the short version. You actually had two little mini stories. So give me the first one you were talking about working at a financial services company. Um, give me that really quick and then I'm gonna slip you into the other one.
3: Okay, um, the financial services company. So, um, you know, just bringing everything that I have from my years and years of experience, bringing, you know, crazy powerhouse, um, uh, what you call them, uh, mentors, experienced mentors, formal education, Every single callback, rearranging my, um, my resume and my cover letters, coming in, like making sure I'm wearing the right things, saying the right things. Then when I finally get on these floors and you get to meet your team and then you get to see someone that says, well, okay, well, I got this job based on, because like I've worked my whole life to get here. And then you have your counterpart, someone that's sitting right next to you that literally simply says, well, my roommate came home and asked, did I need a job? And I said, yes.
0: Mm. And, and I think there was also an example where you said you had more experience, more years of experience, yet they were making more than you. And this is a friend of yours, someone that you're still friends with today. Am I correct? Yeah, absolutely. He's working this, in the system. even not his
3: fault. Yeah, <laughs> right? Exactly. To this very day, I had a friend, to the, a good friend of mine. I have lots of friends of mine where we were bonded, um, where he's white, but where they are white. But we were bonded in these experiences where I'm working. And then we we make friends, and I'm making at the time I'm making eight sixty eight dollars sixty cents an hour. <laughs> and then I just happen to ask him like, you know, hey, what are you making? Because I I kind of knew, so I did you know ask. But he he said I'm making ten twenty. Automatically, I'm like, you literally just got hired, <laughs> and I've been working here way like I've been working there a year longer. And then they get a new hire, and he automatically makes over two dollars more than me.
0: Interesting. Real quick, it's, it's it's the life that we live. I hate to minimize it, but I'm going to keep it moving. You also gave another story, because part of what we're doing today is we're basically saying, we talked about these concepts of unconscious bias and unequal performance standards. We defined them last week. I kind of laid a groundwork. Now I just want to bring people on to tell some real stories Absolutely. and then talk about what the experiences are. So the other thing you talked about, again, you started with $8 and $10 an hour, and then you said, oh, I got this dream job. Express forward to this dream job that you got. Um, just real quick as quick as you can we've literally got one minute. Mm-hmm. Tell us about how that that landed or ended in trauma.
3: So I get there. I'm constantly being left out I get along nice with I get along well with most people so to find myself in a place where literally nobody is talking to me was odd. Um, I was picked on they they hired a, an, they hired a, a team lead. And we all, this is a communicative communicative company. We have communication software. So I know the deadline. My team lead knows the deadline. Why then would he set his desk up right next to mine? Why would he stare down my back? Why would he be tapping me over my shoulder? Constantly, days at a time, why would he be doing like this? Come on, come on, come on, come on, when I'm literally sitting there working as a designer. So finally, so, so, so you, so you
0: hadn't missed you hadn't missed these deadlines. I
3: correct. Had, no deadlines. You had not missed
0: deadlines, but you were having a different experience than other people on your team.
3: Than other people me. on my team.
0: So, so I'll let you finish, like thirty seconds.
3: Mm-hmm. So I finally turn around to him because I'm pushing. I say, "Hey, I don't appreciate being touched. I don't appreciate being rushed. I see the deadlines. You see the deadlines. This is something that I'm working on. You see, I'm working on." And so he sat there. I sat there. And then when I got home, I was still mad. And I was like, it was. I got off at five, I got home, and I was thinking on the way home, I'm going to go to HR and I'm going to talk. By six o'clock, I got a call saying that my services were no longer needed because mm-hmm. it was a production issue. Production meaning the job that I'm doing, meaning that they had a problem with the job that I was doing. And that did not before I even had a chance to go to HR and tell them that I felt like I was being harassed, that I felt like I was being left out, or I felt or that or to even talk about the things that I was experiencing, um, I was let go and I never had a chance to to speak up, to fight for myself yet. How
0: did that make well, you feel, Vance?
3: In, in, yeah, I mean, in, I mean, I, mean I, I want you to
0: go back to where you started, because when you told me how you started the job, you thought this was nirvana. You were like, praise <laughs> the Lord and hallelujah. So like, real quick, you started here and you ended there. Like, give me that that emotional roller coaster. That's where, that where on.
3: Comes in. that's where the anger comes in. That's where the hurt comes in, because I that's where the hurt, the anger comes in, because I was I don't. I didn't. I can't reconcile with with the in, with injustice. I can't reconcile with with being treated like that and literally just swept away for no reason. For for so that's where the hurt comes in. That's where the anger comes in. Is being treated that way and then being then being treated in such a way that it doesn't matter. You're gone. We're done. They can move on, and they do move on. Yet it leaves me in a place to suffer. It leaves me in a place to question my strength, my abilities, and my weaknesses, uh, and, and bring those to the forefront. And and with nothing, no support, no no money, no, hungry, wondering where I'm gonna get food, wondering how I'm gonna make rent. But these people, they get to go along, yet it's so easy to toss us to the side. It hurts physically, it hurts emotionally, it hurts in every single way to be treated this way. And and, and, and it hurts even sometimes to be not have the privilege to go and get help.
0: Dr. Tart. Dr. Tart. I just have to do
1: this. Uh, so thank please. you. Uh, whew, fans, 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 fans. So one of the things that um, we aren't necessarily conditioned to recognize is what we consider to be um, our permission. Sometimes we aren't taught to believe that we have permission to say no. Sometimes we aren't conditioned to believe to say, I have something to say and it's worth saying. And sometimes you you can't use, like you just said, they dismissed you that evening, but you still have your voice and if there, uh, with, with, with our uh, civil unrest and all these things that's going on right now, if I can't say anything else, please recognize that you have your voice and please recognize that you have permission to use your voice. Now, if we were to take that scenario, and I don't know how long ago it may have been or whatever, but because you're still struggling with it, I, I would submit that it still bothers you and you use the word 2016. hurt. 2016. I'm sorry? 2016. Okay, so you said that's that's four years ago and you're still using the word hurt. So. When we we do know that unresolved, so he's
0: also using the word injustice. If yes. you think about why people are, you know, marching in the streets, burning stuff down, and we do not condone any of that behavior. When I when I this this executive summary that we're submitting it specifically says those same racial injustices, the trauma and abuse that's happening that they're that they're that they're writing about in the streets is happening in corporate America. I kind of wanted to illuminate that today, and I feel like we've definitely done that
3: but to a tiny time degree. Time what did you say what because it takes my life it's not a gunshot but it is taking away my livelihood i call it corporate
0: chokeholds these are corporate chokeholds so for the ceos the business leaders those that are watching we lovingly invite you to participate in this bigger than me success series we call them corporate how to end corporate chokeholds that's what we're trying to do but we're really trying to achieve equity and inclusion for all and we want you to understand it is a corporate chokehold because again I've heard hundreds of stories like this. Dr. Tart yes, ma'am. It requires
1: us using our voices, not just black people. It requires everybody. You could have been an Asian or, or, or Hispanic or whomever. And if the same thing were to have happened, oh, you still could be black because you are black. But the, the, the reality here is how do i choose how do i choose to use my choices my choice is okay this has happened and i need somebody to understand i need somebody to hear me it may not be that you were a part of the company anymore but you still have your 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 your, your computer or your handwritten notes or whatever whatever you can write well, Look at what happens when we use our voices. When there have been those kinds of things that have been done, uh, can you guys still hear me? Those things that have been done, yes, we can go and we write or we call the the, the, the news, you know, uh, the uh, news companies, and we say this is an injustice that has been done. Is this across the board? You know, the companies will step up and say, "Wait, whoa, whoa, that may not have been our parent company's principle. We aren't going there." The only thing, the thing that I'm saying is that. We, you, maybe you can't unring that bell in terms of why it is that you were let go, but you don't have to continue to carry that kind of hurt that will turn into rage or or enjo- you doing something that's unjust. You can use your voice, fans. You can say, these are the things that were happening. Where's the evidence to support that my my professionalism didn't measure up? Please show me that. Sometimes because of the way things happen, we believe that we can't
0: say those things after the fact. Go ahead, Trace. Dr. Char, I love you. I love you so much. We literally have four minutes left. I'm gonna read something real quick and see if I can get your responses at the end. Because what we're trying to basically illuminate is the idea that these injustices that we just normalize as challenges, unconscious bias, unequal performance standards. It makes you know, us stronger. Well, well, I would never say it makes us stronger, but they, they're normalized. So let me read this. So th- this is from um, the uh, an executive, DNI leader of a major technology company. Um, she wrote this in LinkedIn. The neuroscience of inclusion is clear. Research done by the Neuro Leadership Institute informs us that the brain processes exclusion the same way as physical pain. I got a nurse and a psychologist on. Hear me. Not only does it, when you talked about your son experiencing exclusion and then acting out, it goes on to say when humans are excluded, we have reduced intelligence and thought. We demonstrate increased self-defeating behavior and defensiveness. Yeah. Reduced Pro-social behavior and reduce well-being. The reality is that when it seems like people don't understand or relate to what individual communities are facing, that in itself can be experienced as exclusion. The impact of the world outside of the workplace affects the way that any of us can show up, can be creative, can innovate, and can do great work for our companies. Now yes and yes. that is a statement that was written by actually the dni lead for microsoft and i love microsoft i think it's a great company i love Satya nadella you're invited to join us on this show but what i think the missing piece is they're talking about exclusion that happens outside of the workplace we're talking about exclusion that happens inside of the workplace mm-hmm. this is the reality check this is the opportunity for us to really take this amazing time in history and really focus on what can we do to focus on increasing and improving what equity and inclusion looks like in business for everyone. So we got less than one minute left. I'm going to ask each of you to help me close in a positive way. I would, it would, what, again, does success look like to you? I'm going to start with you, Anissa. I'm going to go to Vance, and then I'm going to go to Jerry Tart. If you could have your way, what words of wisdom would you share with the CEO and executive of, of a company that your son's going to work for? What is a, What does equity and inclusion look like in business for your son, Anissa, I and mean, for you?
2: for people at the executive level to look as diverse as the country we live in.
0: All right, now, Vance, 20 seconds. What does equity and inclusion look like to you? You got a success story. You got got an opportunity to shape the world, the future. Real quick.
3: Do not be afraid of competition. Everybody is is applicable and ready in some way, shape, or form. Review all applications, please. All
0: right, now, all right. Dr. Jerry Bertar, take us home, my sister. What, what well, you're speaking directly to the CEO and business leaders. I would ask
1: that um take off the blinders and recognize what you're thinking, what your own frame of reference is. Get centered, get centered so that you can see all of us. You can see you can see the equality across the board. Okay, that's from the inside out to the outside out. I mean, just really look at what your what your process of thought has been.
0: I I love you. I love you all so much. Thank you, each of you for joining us today. I am grateful for you being open to tell your story. You're so cute. So keep in mind, this is Bigger Than Me. So you being willing to tell your story, I'm gonna ask each person to join us on this journey. We have a Bigger Than Me series that's starting right now. This show I'm gonna use every Sunday to bring this message forward. And then July 7th, we're gonna continue to work. Thank you very much. It's Bigger Than Me, baby.